If you are here for the first time or maybe uh, coming back in a while, we are in the middle of a seven-week series actually leading up to the holidays, uh, to, the, to our Christmas uh, worship together, where we are looking at the scope of Israel's life in the Old Testament. So essentially what we're doing, we are looking at seven key texts in and through the Old Testament that highlight the blessed people of God. We've been looking at this year-long theme that we are a blessed people who bless people. That is, it's been so evident that we have received God's blessing, and then when we look in Scripture, uh, it is also as evident that we are to share that blessing, to be a blessing. I wanted us to see the story of Israel, because I think in these seven key texts, we can see in, in, at the 30,000-foot view the story of how Israel was a blessed people, and also to learn from how they should have responded to God's blessing in their life. And in some ways, it's a sad story. However, the beauty of this, because it ultimately is a story of redemption, God is still working. God is still doing exactly what God does and what God has done. And so we can rejoice in that the story of redemption, albeit very sad when we look at this, the story of Israel, is still very hopeful for us today. So we are in Psalm 78 where we are going to look at the story for the ages. We're going to see in Psalm 78, if you will, a recap of Israel's experience coming out of the exodus and into the wilderness and how this story was intended to be shared from generation to generation because every generation needs to hear the story of God's redemption. Every single generation needs to hear the story of God's redemption. Let's begin reading in Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. This psalm of Asaph. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. He says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell them, to the coming generation, and here's specifically what was going to be told. Number one, the glorious deeds of the Lord. Number two, his might. And number three, the wonders that he has done. Father, what an incredible opening to this beautiful yet tragic psalm. One in which your glorious deeds, your might, and your wonders are on full display. But next to that display, Lord, is a people that reject them. That live in rebellion. And Father, may we learn of this story. May we learn of this redemption. And Father, leave today changed and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Do you have a, a family story that like has been passed down from generation to generation? 
like maybe like at uh, like your family's Christmas gathering, like that, like this one particular family story is always told. Do you, ha- do you have any of those? Like, you know, maybe it's like this, you know, family inside joke where something happened to Uncle Steve at that Thanksgiving, and every time you gather together, it's like, hey, remember that one time Uncle Steve, you know, yeah, you, ha- you have one of those. Um, I remember the first time uh, this particular family story, I became aware of it. I was actually, uh, it was actually at my in-laws. Um, it was one of the very first Christmases I was uh, at their house. I'm not sure if I was engaged or newly married, but I was spending time uh, with Megan and her family. And all of a sudden, one evening, uh, Megan's youngest brother, so Megan is the oldest of four siblings, and she has a younger brother that she's 16 years older than. So Hudson, uh, many of you have met Hudson. Hudson was probably about maybe six or seven at this time. And I remember one evening I was downstairs in their kitchen, and all of a sudden, uh, my, my father-in-law, Kip, and Hudson come, like, running down the stairs. And obviously, they're, they're, they're playing and having fun. And they tear into the kitchen. They grab something from the pantry, and they run out. And I'm just like, what's going on? And so uh, when, I was, when I asked Megan, I was like, what, what's happening? And she's like, oh, she's like, that's the Fleabadoo sneak attack. <laughs> I was like, What? She's like, it's the Fleabadoo sneak attack. And I was like, the Fleabadoo sneak attack? And I was like, you got, you got to explain. So apparently when uh, Kip was a boy, he and his brother, <laughs> uh, when they were hungry at night, would sneak out of their bedroom and into the kitchen and grab a piece of bread. And it was like this fun thing that they would, di- they would do. And, you know, they thought that their parents didn't know, but their parents were fully aware that their brothers were sneaking out. But every time, they called it the Fleabadoo sneak attack. I have no idea why, but that's what it was called. And so now here you have, like literally generations later, the Fleabadoo sneak attack still in existence. And, and I just found it like, you know, weird because it's a weird name. But I, I thought it was just like a special thing to watch, you know, Kip. And, and, and his son, Hudson, doing something that Kip did as a boy. And I'm very sure that Hudson will probably do with his child. This, this, this story of his dad's mischief is now also being passed down from generation to generation. What we have here in Psalm 78 is a story of Israel's past that is intended to be told. Not because of its humor, or its weird name, like the Fleabadoo sneak attack. <laughs> but because of what God intends to do through this story. Because I believe this story is suggesting to us that every single generation needs to hear, ought to hear, the story of God's redemption. You see, God is doing something and has been doing something in this world. And Asaph makes it so clear that his intention is to continue reminding the fathers of Israel that every single generation needs to hear the story of what God is doing. And I think we're going to find and discover three reasons why. He's going to outline for us, I believe here in these 32 verses, three reasons why every single generation needs to hear the story of God's redemption. And the first reason why we need to hear this is that we would find hope. We would find hope. Let's begin reading in verse 5 of Psalm 78. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. 
And look at there in, in verse 6 where it says that. This is the intention of doing that. That what would happen? The next generation might know them. See, this law that God gave to Israel, the very thing that he brought them out of Egypt, brought them to the mountain and gave to them, Asaph is telling the fathers of Israel, y'all need to tell your children about these things because they need to know the glorious deeds and the words of the Lord. And here's what will happen. And they will arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God And not forget the works of God, but ultimately do what? What is God's intention here for his people? They would ultimately do what? Keep his commandments. See, ironically, many many of us fathers are intuitively good at passing down what we love to our children. You know, maybe it's a love for a particular sports team. You know, maybe like it's just like, you know, you've got no problems talking about the New England Patriots. Maybe you've got no problems, you know, if there's any Green Bay Packers in here. Like you can, like it's almost like this, like this like religious exercise to, to, to take your kids to Lambeau Stadium and, and have them experience the greatness of the Packers. You know, because uh, my wife loves Notre Dame, you know, the, the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, it's, it's almost like this mystique on the campus there. They have all this pageantry and tradition, and it's like you're being exposed to this unbelievable place. And dads are good at passing that down. Maybe it's a love for cars. Any, any, of, you, any of you in here have a dad that loved cars that passed that down to you? Okay, yeah. It's, like, it's just almost just intuitive, right? Maybe it's a knack for fixing things around the house. Maybe it's a mindset for working hard. I think if we all were honest, we can think back to a time in our upbringing, or maybe now for you those who are dads, where you sit down with your kids and you have that moment of like, son, let me introduce you to the flea-badoo sneak attack, right? Like you, there's this moment where you're, where you're wanting to pass down something that you love. You know, regardless what it may be, we will knowingly or unknowingly affect the next generation. But I want to remind us again why Asaph was telling these fathers to tell their children about the works of the Lord. I want to bring your attention again to the end of verse 7 where he gives us these three reasons. This is is the result here back in verse verse 7 of why we ought to be telling our kids of these stories so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. Like when you consider what is being distilled to our children, like when I think about, when I think about dads, specifically fathers currently today, what's being emphasized in the home has a lot to do with sports, like youth sports. I find it a little bit interesting or, or sad that every Sunday when I, when I drive down Tampa Road, at the Oldsmar Sports Park, it's just full of families. And, and you wonder what's going to be, and maybe you don't wonder, maybe you know, but maybe you wonder to a degree, what's going to be the impact on society when we have literally maybe generations of people who have no, no thought or care for who God is and what God has done? 
And I think part of the reason why I want us to understand the story of Israel, because I think we see what that's like. We see what happened to Israel. And Asaph says, tell your children about these things. You know, we talk about sports in the home. We talk about school options. We talk about money for college in the future. What if instead of spending so much time focusing on the temporary, we strategized and prayed and budgeted our time and talents and treasure to make sure the next generation heard and they were saturated in the story of God's redemption. You know, I think often we, we kind of just hope that will happen. Like we hope our kids will turn out. We hope, we hope the next generation will do what's right. We hope the next generation will love God. But if we're not committed like Asaph here to telling, to reminding, to demonstrating, to what we've talked about here at Bay Cities, to delighting in and displaying and declaring the good news of Jesus, we can't just expect, expect it to accidentally happen, can we? Like, if we're going to see the next generation have a love for God and his word, Asaph is telling us how it happens. We have to tell them. We have to show them. We have to be the ones that communicate this. You know, I say this a little bit lightheartedly, but in our home, there's, it's no surprise that... Uh, what I'm going to say here that there is a tension when it comes to college football Saturdays. I mentioned my wife loves the University of Notre Dame. The I probably equally love the University of Michigan. So here you have this tension in our home. Uh, and, you, and some of you are thinking, man, you both are messed up. I get it. I get it. Uh, growing up in the Midwest, th- those were our options where we lived. Uh, we're not as fortunate to be a fan of Alabama or, or Clemson or, or teams like that. But the point is, when we're in my home, I'm very jealous to guard my kids' loves for Notre Dame. Like, my, my wife will get these ideas to put my kids in Notre Dame outfits. I'm like, what you trying to do? <laughs> Recently, I, I thought it'd be funny, um, and it wasn't, just so you know. Uh, I thought it'd be funny <laughs> if, um, uh, so we were, Megan was switching out some, uh, some winter clothes for Layla, and I saw in uh, Layla's room uh, this little Notre Dame, I mean, in, okay, in fairness, it's, it's a cute little cheerleading outfit, but it looks terrible now because there's Notre Dame on it, so it's, it's in Layla's room, and I'm like, I, I was like, oh, it'd be funny here if I hide it, and um, I was like, I'm gonna hide it in a place she can't find it, and so uh, in, our, in our laundry room, there's like this little trash can that pulls out, and I kind of hid it behind the trash can. She's like, she's not gonna find it there, I don't want my daughter wearing Notre Dame, right? I mean, come on. Like, I'm a good dad. And so, um, so what, I thought, what I thought would happen was Megan was going to be like, hey, have you seen that, that Notre Dame outfit of Layla's? Like, yeah, I hit it, funny. But what happened was she found it. And she assumed I'd try to throw it away. So as you can imagine, not only was it like, why are you throwing away Layla's clothes? But because we're like, you know, a house divided, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I'm preserving my children. No. I find it in some ways joyful and even like my right as a father to say, Nolan, you will like Michigan. They will be your team. You will like the Detroit Tigers. And, and, and I've spent like literally countless of hours showing them highlights of the good old days, having them watch the games, wearing the gear, because I want him to be a Michigan fan. But... You know, when I really think about how committed, how, like, 
how am I strategizing and praying and using my time and my talents and my treasure to make sure, not that Nolan's a Michigan fan, but that he is a follower of Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I use those illustrations, you know, lightly here, but if we really pressed into it, like, our kids know what we value. The generation below us, they, they know what we love and care for. You knew it with your parents, whether they said it directly or not. And Asaph is telling us, if you want the next generation to find hope, certainly it's not going to be in a sports team. It's not going to be in your bank account. It's not going to be in your vocation. It's going to be found in the story of God's redemption. But he presses further. He says, you're not just going to find hope in this story. You're going to gain wisdom. Second reason why every single generation needs to hear the story of God's redemption is to gain the wisdom they desperately need. Starting in verse 8, we see Asaph transition, and it says, and the reason they need to hear this, it says that they should not be like their fathers, the ones in the wilderness, which is crazy. These, these are the very people, like if you think about this, these were the very people who were slaves in Egypt that God did incredible miracles to deliver, like literally opening up a sea, having them walk through, and then destroying the most powerful army in the world. And look what happened. Look how quickly, quickly they turned. They forgot. They were a stubborn and rebellious generation. It says a generation whose heart was not steadfast. It wasn't loyal. Their spirit was not faithful to God. This generation of people, the very ones who experienced the miraculous deliverance of God, Asaph says they were stubborn and rebellious. They weren't loyal or faithful. They did not obey. And essentially, they forgot what God had done. Let me ask you a question. Where are the parents in this room? Let's see a raise your hand. If you're a parent, let me see you raise your hand. Okay, how would you act? How would you feel if your child was described as stubborn and rebellious, <laughs> not loyal or faithful to you, they didn't obey, but they refused actually to obey you and had forgotten all that you had done. How would you feel about that? Yeah, brokenhearted. You'd feel frustrated. You'd feel discouraged. We're, we're in the stage in our home where stubbornness and rebellion, especially with one unnamed young boy, is very physically present. You know, even just this morning, like, even just this morning, you know, Nolan and Megan and I are having, like, these standoffs. And it's just like, you're like, dude, how can you so easily forget that we love you, that we do what's best for you? And when you've experienced that as a parent, when your kids defiantly and just blatantly disobey, like, we don't tolerate it, do we? Matter of fact, we make, stom- we make statements like, I won't tolerate this, Right? You will not do this. And if you do, you'll leave my home. Like, we, we, we've all fought that or maybe even worse said it. But yet, here we have a description of a people that God literally moved heaven and earth to save. And if they can forget the works of the Lord, like who do we think we are? 
Like this is written, Asaph is telling us this so that we would remember, so that we would gain wisdom from seeing a people who disobeyed so that we can learn. I didn't have siblings, but ironically, I find it so amazing how siblings can learn from the disobedience of another. A little more seriously, we, have, we, ha- we do have a child that, that at dinner time struggles with thankfulness. Megan will work hard to prepare the food. And, um, and this particular child, when it comes out, if, if, if they don't like it, they kind of give this look of like, like you can like almost just immediately see it in the countenance. It's kind of like, oh, no. And then we'll place the food down, and, and they'll just kind of let it just sit there in front of them. And, and they have this look on their face of displeasure. And we've had to work hard with this one particular child to say, regardless of what your preference is here, mom has worked hard to provide for you something that, that is good and that is good for you. And so I've asked that as soon as the meal is brought to the table, in light of this, that the kids say thank you. And if they don't, there's going to be consequences. So now what happens is, is the other two, as soon as, soon as, that, as soon as that meal slides in, thank you, mommy, you know, thank you. And they've gained wisdom, right, from seeing the disobedience of the other. Asaph is telling us every generation needs to hear, this, hear the story of God's redemption so that they can gain wisdom. Because this is, this is what they forgot. Because let's, let's begin reading here in verse, in verse 10. It says, they did not keep God's covenant, but they refused to walk according to his law. Notice what he highlights here in verse 11. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. I want you just to listen to what God did for these people. It says, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, the fields of Zoan, here's what he did. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and cause waters to flow down like rivers. We would say there's no one like this. Like we would look at these works and not just be fascinated, but be in awe of what God can do. Yet, they sinned still more against him. Rebelling against the most high in the desert. Now we look at this, right? And we think, how could they? Like we think, man, if God would sp- split open the seas for me and, 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 you know, he would just have this cloud I could follow during the day and this night to follow at, uh, uh, this, this light to follow at night. If he would just miraculously, miraculously provide my food and drink, man, I'd be good. Apparently not. Apparently that's how sinful and stubborn we are as people. And if we don't remind ourselves of these truths to gain the wisdom from them, we, as Winston Churchill was famously quoted, if we cannot remember the past, guess what? We're doomed to repeat it. And this is why it's so important. This is why, this is why Asaph says to, the, to these, these leaders and these fathers, Tell your kids about this story. Remind them of what God has done. Show them who God is. So that every generation is to hear the good news of Jesus, 
It has to begin with us. Because it's not just designed for us to find hope and to gain wisdom. We see the third reason here, and it's, it's designed for us to escape judgment. Because God doesn't take lightly disobedience. It says in verse 18, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. It says they spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? And look at what verse 21 tells us. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was what? A fire was kindled against Jacob. They at one time had a fire leading them, and now they have a fire kindled against them. Why? They did not believe in God. They did not trust his saving power. Like we have to understand here that disbelief, our disbelief, does not go without God's judgment or punishment. The beauty for us is we have someone whose name is Jesus, who's a mediator, And our Savior, that in placing our faith and trust in his substitutionary work on the cross, the judgment that we deserve, we can escape. But if it wasn't for someone telling us that good news, right, we would still be liable to this judgment. Because if God would judge the very people that he delivered out of Egypt, what makes us think that we can escape judgment on our own? Right? We don't have this ability. I mean, if you think about it, despite their rebellion, God provided for them manna. We learn that God provides for them meat. It says, it says in verse 23, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels, and he sent them food in abundance. It says in verse 27, he rained meat on them like dust. Winged birds like the sand of the sea. But notice this tragic ending that they experience. It says, And they ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, The anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them, and he laid low the young men of Israel. And in spite of all this, the miraculous works of God, the judgment of God, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Isn't that sad? Like, this is a sad moment in the story of this nation. And when I consider this ending, like, I don't want it to end this way. I, I wish it was different. And what is truly unfortunate is that there are people around us where we live and work and play that are liable to the same judgment of God. 
Yet Asaph is telling us that every generation needs to hear this story of God's redemption so they find their hope in God. They gain their wisdom from God, but ultimately they escape the judgment of God. So what are we going to do to break this cycle? What can we do as a church to break this cycle? I think, first of all, we have to personally believe ourselves in this story of redemption. You know, if we don't personally believe that God can save his people, that God can do miraculous things to deliver us from our sin and our bondage, if we don't believe that, how are we going to pass that down to the next generation? You know what I'm saying? Like if we don't have a firm belief in who Jesus is, that he is the way and the truth and the life, that we don't place our faith and trust in him, we can't expect our children or our neighbors to know any different. And I think what happens is that if we don't understand the importance upon us personally, but even more specifically here, the, the, the men and fathers of at least this church here who's hearing this message today, it is upon you to be able to look your spouse and your children in the eyes and to tell them this story. To say God has delivered and he can do it today. But if you don't believe that yourself, and not just like have a knowledge of it, because I think at least of today in this moment, we all have a knowledge right now that God can. But a true faith and a commitment to seeing that lived out in your life, it's not, there's not going to be change. And I think what happens is many of us would be in the room, and I think the majority in here would have had a moment in their life, a time where they say, I do believe this. I, I have placed my faith. But I think what's important and what Asaph is really getting here, it's not just a, for a moment in time that we believe this. It's for all time. One of my, and I've said this before, one of my favorite sayings by author Jerry Bridges is that we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves. So often we're accustomed to listening to ourselves, listening to the doubts, the fears, the anxieties. But there ought to be a pretty regular experience where we talk to ourselves, right? Where we tell and remind ourselves of this good news of Jesus, that despite our sin, despite God's judgment, Jesus has made a way. And when we remind ourselves of the story of God's redemption and we are filled as Jesus was and, and, and we can learn with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to have those hard conversations with our children. We're going to be able to look our coworkers in the eye and tell them about the love of God. We're going to be able to bless those where we live, work, and play, right? Because we've experienced the blessing of God ourselves. But if we don't remind ourselves and remember, our, remember these truths, we're just as easy to forget them as well. And I want us to close this morning with considering these three questions that I think are very pertinent to this text here. First of all, who is God bringing to mind where you live and work in play that needs to hear the story of redemption. Is there someone right now as we're sitting here that you're like that person? Maybe it's right in your home. Maybe there's a, there's a person in your home. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. 
that you're, that you're thinking, Lord, that person is far from God and they need this. They need this. Who's God bringing to mind right now? Is there a name? Is there a face? Is there a, maybe a house? Like, like, where is God and who, excuse me, is God bringing to mind that you need to share this story of redemption with? I think secondly, as, a, as a, this, an important question here, what steps do you need to share this story with them? So like when you consider this person or maybe even these people that God is bringing to mind, what steps need to take place? And maybe that you yourself need to remind and have a, have a moment of, of, of just personal confession before God and say, God, I need this story right now as much as anyone else. Maybe there needs to be some sort of thought over the holidays of how you can engage with that coworker or with that child or with that neighbor and share with them this story of what God has done. And then finally, what fears or obstacles to sharing need to be given over to God in prayer? So like when we consider this, like there's a beauty of this story and it's a bittersweetness. But ultimately, what, what we've gone back to in the beginning here is that Asaph is saying that, hey, hey men, hey leaders of Israel, every generation needs to hear this story. So there is then, as a result, a responsibility thrust upon us to share this story, to live out this story, to let the people where we live and work and play see that we delight in and display, display excuse me, and declare the good news of Jesus. Because if not, if we don't remember this story ourselves, and if we don't share this story, we are bound to repeat the same failures of Israel. And I don't want that. Do you? I don't want that. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for this church. I don't want that for your families. But if we can leave here today with remembering who God is, what he has done through Jesus, and once again resolving ourselves to saying every generation needs to hear this story. Every generation needs to hear about the good news of Jesus. Every generation needs to know about what God has done. Think about the lives that could be changed. And I've said this before, and if you're wondering if that's true, well, look it. Someone did it for you, didn't they? I'm thankful that someone named Gail Thompson <laughs> did not let her son go. It was hard, wasn't it, Ma? Like, it wasn't easy. Today, November 24th, my dad would be 66. And this is a very bittersweet day in our lives. However, the sweetness to me is that despite the difficulty, my mom was committed to making sure the people where she lived, particularly in her home, didn't forget this message. That she would remind me, that she would confront me, that she would bring this word before me and say, you need this. <laughs> and often I didn't want to hear it. But her faithfulness to having me remember this story 
brought lasting change. Think about the lives that could be changed with yet, once again, our resolve and our commitment to saying, God, every generation needs this story. My children, my children's children, my neighbor's children, my coworkers' children, every generation, old and young, needs to hear the story of God's redemption so that we find our hope, so that we gain wisdom, so that ultimately we escape judgment. And let us rejoice this morning that there is a story of redemption that can be believed in, that can be shared, and that ultimately we'll enjoy together forever.